0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only podcast. Yes, I'm your host Ben Standick. I cover the Washington Commanders for the Athletic. Uh, happy to be with you guys here. I'm talking to you on Monday night. I just got done having a conversation with the one and only Kevin Sheehan from the team 980. Uh, you know, it's always I'm always on with Kevin twice a week, Mondays and Fridays, We're basically eleven o'clock. Uh, as I was today on Monday, actually. I was on a little bit later than 11, but nonetheless, I'm on there a lot. But I don't always have the chance to have him here, and it's always a blast to do so. And I I try, you know, because Kevin and I talk a lot, and because we've all been talking about the same topics, particularly since Dan Snyder and Josh Harris came to an agreement to sell the team last week, trying to think of some other stuff to do. So we did a lot of stadium talk here, gave some of my theories as to what I think may happen. Uh, Kevin as well. And we went through the different scenarios, including, you know, who's paying for this thing. Ultimately, Uh how is that going to work? We also talked about uh Casimir Allen, the uh, undrafted free agent that Ron Rivera cited by name. When I asked about who could be involved in the return game, uh, that was somebody uh that Rivera mentioned. And Kevin had, and I talked earlier just on the side today and, and that came up. So we talked about uh that and, uh, also, uh, one of the other topics was trying to make sense of why the Commanders have $86 million in cap space for next year. At this point, they have not extended um, there, any of these guys like a Kendall Fuller or a Logan Thomas or a Charles Leno, who people who have some bigger uh, salary cap hits for this year. And we've all been talking about it in the context of this year. But you look ahead to next year, could it have anything to do with the ownership change. We discussed that as well. So we'll get to that in a moment here on the Standard Room Only Podcast, which of course you can find on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you do your podcasting. Uh, and of course go check out The Athletic. I had a story up on uh, Monday about Rookie Minicamp, and I talked about some of this in the pod I put up uh, Sunday uh, Sunday night. One thing i I think I mentioned that I was going to discuss and then didn't because I just sort of lo- lost it. I guess uh, was Eric Bieniemy's presence out there on the field. Let's do that right now, really quickly, before we get to Kevin. Um, you know, obviously they they hire Eric Bieniemy and to, to you know he's going to get their call plays and run the offense and all that kind of stuff, and and that's fine. But you know, a lot of that can be behind the scenes, and we may not even see what is going on like you know scott turner independent of what anybody thinks of him as a as a coordinator you know much more, more of a low-key personality i, I don't know that i ever heard scott turner utter more than a handful of words at most in the three years of covering him during a practice well eric b that was not the case on friday eric b was very much a presence loud in charge and you know sh- talking to his players out there. Um, and, you know, these are, of course, were not the main guys who will be out there on Sundays this year, but these were, he was trying to set the tone early on. There obviously are some, uh, you know, some of the rookies like, a, uh, Chris Rodriguez is out there, the, the six round pick, uh, and a couple of the offensive linemen. So I think he was really trying to establish the tone. Uh, but he, you could hear him throughout practice. Uh, he was yelling, uh, finish a lot. Uh, uh, you know, and, uh, there was one point when Nolan Lauffenberg, one of the few holdovers who was out there, was playing some center, and Lauffenberg was like sort of I think already towards where the ball was. It was a seven on seven drill, and the other the rest of the offense was still sort of in the huddle. I'm not saying lollygaggy, but whatever. They weren't like they were, they were trying to figure out what they were doing, and Bienni yelled, "There's the you know the center is out here for a reason, basically," and he was telling you know take control. And none of that is crazy. This is what football coaches do. But I'm just talking about as a presence. Eric Bieniemy definitely has one. He is not going to go quiet uh, out there with them. And I think that will be interesting when the vets show up to see, you know what what that tone does uh, across the board. He's also made a presence for himself, or n- not a, for himself. He's also made a presence with things like the practice time. Uh, I don't remember, to be honest, what time rookie camp was last year. But I know training camp practices were basically 9 a.m. And practices during the season are roughly like 11.50 in the morning. And the practice on for the rookies started after 1 o'clock. And the sense I get is that this may be more of in the time range that things are going to go for the OTAs for training camp and maybe even into the season and maybe even a little bit later than one um, putting aside why that's a complete uh, not, that's not great for, for people like me when it comes to dealing with commute and traffic, but going home, but that's my, my personal worries aside. It, it, it's interesting to see that Ron Rivera is, uh, he isn't just like uh, turning the offense over to BNME. He's trying to get BNME to share some of the insight from his time at Kansas city is what they did, uh, I, you know, and, and, and how, and how to turn some of their habits into success here. I don't know that changing practice time is good or bad. Uh, I leave it up to them. I, I should mention that the primary reason it seems if this is going to happen is that it would be to have some meetings ahead of practice. So the players can take what they just learned in the meetings and then implement it on the field, seems reasonable. Um, you know, if we're talking there in the summer, I don't think later is better because of the heat, but you know, they're the ones out there in, 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 in the pads and hitting each other. And I am just watching. So, uh, so there's that, uh, Eric B having a presence to me in, in my view already. Um, all right. Uh, other than that, let's get to it here. Uh, Kevin Sheen and I have a, a lot of fun talking to Kevin. Uh, I gave you some of the topics we hit on. We hit on others as well. Um, Let's get to it right now here on the Standard Groom Only podcast. All right. uh, Joining me here is a person that I just was saying to him that I talk to very often, but typically on his show or podcast. Of course, I'm talking about Kevin Sheehan, who's got the the now coveted 10-to-1 slot on the Team 980 and, of course, the Kevin Sheehan uh, show podcast. How how is that uh, deal going with getting up? For a ten o'clock show, as opposed to the uh ridiculous six a.m.
1: Better, <laughs> much better. I mean, you know, it's I yeah, I haven't gotten used to it yet, but nobody cares about what time people get up. I I it's they wanted to do this, and it's it, it's working for me so far. Um, it, I'll tell you, it makes it easier to do two things. One. Stay up the night before and watch games, which I like to do. And two, it, it makes it easier to get guests. It makes it easier in many cases for to do call segments because usually between 6 and 7 a.m, you don't really have a large, you know um, group of, of people ready to call in. and it's really hard to get a guest on a show before you know 7:30 at the earliest typically. So that makes it easier. Um, and yeah, I get to, I get to stay up late and watch games, which I, you, you know, I love doing
0: well, and which like, I,
1: which I was doing anyway, but you know, more painfully.
0: Well, and these NBA playoffs, I mean, you know, there's been right. a lot of good stuff, but the, the Western conference in particular has been must see TV and those games aren't even ending until one in the morning or something. I I've had that issue um, as well, I mean, fortunately, I don't have to get up to do your show anymore, or uh, you know, I don't typically have to get up early if I don't have to, but still, I wake up and those games are just on late, but you got to watch them, uh, because they've easily been super duper uh compelling.
1: Yeah, they've been great, and I think the rest of the way for the Western Conference finals, we don't get super late starts anymore because they're all, um, you know, I think they're all 8 30 or 9 o'clock Eastern. Whether it's in l a or Denver, I think we get that the rest of the way.
0: uh, absolutely. um all right, so I was trying to think what what to discuss. Uh, something I was like thinking about today was some of the stadium stuff because I mean, I look I mean I think we all I, i've we've all talked about the 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 reality of the Dan Snyder is uh selling the team and now it's just a matter of waiting for the finance committee in the league to go through it and that could take three weeks, two months will we'll see maybe we'll get a better feel for that coming up. Um I still think the stadium thing is incredibly fascinating. Obviously it's been a topic for several years now, but you know, especially in the last couple of years. Um and I think it's going to be clear that the, the 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 various jurisdictions will be more interested in getting involved with Dan Snyder. Um but tell me what you think of this. I, I know like Virginia was feeling for some people like it was the favorite a year ago because they were like the one that seemed to be more aggressive. DC is kind of like, eh, we're, you know, pass and there's a lot of hurdles there. And then Maryland's like, we'll give you 400 plus million, but only for infrastructure, not for the actual stadium. And Virginia was to me was being used as sort of like, all right, well, we have this and Glenn and the, the governor was all in. I don't think, I don't know if Virginia's got much of a chance now.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure, really. I mean, you know, by the time this group deals with, um, you know, first of all, will they continue to use the same people that have been doing this inside the organization? I know some of those people and they're doing, they've done a great job, you know, in terms of being able to communicate and negotiate and pitch it, present it to all of these jurisdictions. but. You're going to get a whole new group of people in and they may have their own, you know, stadium affairs people or, you know, I, or whomever that person um, is. And so by the time you get around to that, we may have a whole new set of elections. And, you know, and I mean, coming up, I forget, in 23, it's not midterms, obviously, but there are elections in November of 23. And I don't know how that changes, you know. Um, State Senate seats and in councils and, uh, you know, boards and all of that. So um, I don't know. I mean, everybody wants D.C. The majority, the significant majority of fans want the RFK site. That should be the number one goal. Mitchell Rails went to games at RFK. Josh Harris went to games at RFK. Um, But Maryland, you know, in addition to providing some of the infrastructure, they have major development going on already with or without the stadium in that Landover location. Like, there's a huge project being planned there that's already been funded, and it's going to turn that area into a heavy kind of a retail area already. It's one of the reasons that they really do want the stadium to stay in Landover. I, I Ben, I, mean, I don't know what the answer is. I mean, it's going to, I I hope it's not about the best deal financially for the new owners, for the new owner and his ownership group. I hope it's about what's the, in the best interest of the team and the fans and the long-term um, view. And to me, that's DC. But it's uh, there are a lot of moving pieces to this.
0: Yeah, I mean, this isn't so much me reporting it. I just remember like a year ago, when it was all this Virginia talk and everybody's Virginia, Virginia, Virginia. And I'm just like, there's no way that that's right. going to happen. The, the,
1: well, the- not that. I mean, I was the same way with the whole dump freeze and the whole thing. I'm like, are you people like, do you really think the NFL is going to allow this team to move to dump I mean, no offense to the people down there, but remember the league, you know, for a new stadium, the league has, Um, you know they've got a pool of money set aside it's like I think 250 to 300 million to invest in that project and the league can say we're not giving you that 250 to 300 million dollars for your project if you move the stadium to Dumfries or you know that was never gonna happen
0: never right and like you know I just still think that like You know, Loudoun County and all that, like, uh, you know, this is probably where my Maryland bias kicks in, but it's just, you know, if we're saying RFK is the ideal site, I just don't see how we then get to Loudoun when the Maryland site, look, put aside the notion of FedEx field and the sewage and the reason things, you don't like he's buying, Josh Harris is buying in addition to the franchise, in addition to the stadium, 200 acres. I assume that's in the deal. two hundred acres that Dan Snyder owns next to the stadium. Yeah. Why is he I mean and and we're also looking at a situation in which I you know, we'll have to wait and see what what the financial wherewithal is for this group, but they are having to like, you know dig dig deep into their pockets to get to this point. Now they're going to go spend another what two billion or something on a stadium or whatever it is. Like I don't know, I don't see them doing all that. But they already have this land, so unless they can, yeah, sell I mean, they, the... could, they
1: could theoretically sell the land, not only there but also in Virginia, and build a facility in DC that also, you know, uh, has the practice facility um, and their headquarters. I mean, that's that's a, a possibility too. I mean, a lot of teams do have that, um, but yeah, I don't. Uh, the, 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 the land, I think, is part of the deal.
0: Yeah, I'm just looking at it practically, and you know, let's not forget, you know, even though uh, Landover is not Chevy Chase, Josh Harris is a Maryland guy, um, you know, respect for that. Uh, so I don't yeah. know. I I just keep thinking that it's going to end up there. L- l- let me ask you this: like again, I don't, you know, all this is just sort of fun speculation, and I totally get it that FedEx Field is unacceptable for to people for a hundred reasons. That said. I, and I don't know the answer to this. If you spent 500 million on that stadium, could you make it work? Because I, I do wonder again, Josh Harris has a lot going on. He's got three teams, you know, he, I, I don't know. Do you know? I don't, I don't know. Like when it comes to all the other spending, who who's paying for that? Like when it comes to the stadium is the group itself of the 15 investors are they all chipping in the proportion that they owe that they own uh, of the of the franchise or how does that work because if it's just if it's just Josh Harris I mean at some point doesn't he kind of run out of uh I not say run out of money but you know h- how much more can he go into it's a really
1: good question I'm sitting here as you're asking it and I'm like I don't know the answer to that like so they're all like you know, I've heard that essentially the smallest investor is like fifty to seventy-five million dollars. So I mean it's you know a lot of money. And that, you know, equates to a certain equity stake, you know, a certain percentage, a certain percentage of the shares um in the team. So the, the you know, do you use operating capital to go build the stadium? Um, you know, or if it's three billion dollars, do you have to go out and raise more money? Do you raise it in debt? I would imagine that if you go back to your investor group and say, oh, by the way, we got to come up with $3 billion to build the stadium. And we'd like everybody to pitch in that somehow what their equity stake isn't going to increase. I I don't know the answer to that. It's a great question. I I mean, the last couple of stadiums that have been built, like if if we look at the Pagoula situation in Buffalo. Or the Nashville situation. First of all, they've gotten significant taxpayer funding in both of those situations, state and state and city. And then, you know, the rest of it is probably funded out of you know their 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 operating capital. I I I would assume. I don't know.
0: Yeah. No. I I I I don't know. Um. I, I guess where I'm just at with the stadium is it just feels like. And look, I, I'm, you know, like you, I grew up here and went to the games at RFK and all that, and that would be a, a lot of fun. But it just doesn't feel like it's realistic b- based on all the variables. The fact that while Mayor Bowser may be all in, the DC Council doesn't seem to be ex- interested. Uh, the Capitol Hill residents are, are against it, it sounds like. Then you have to deal with getting uh, the land from Congress, because even if they just say take the lease that's currently there, you can't build the super city around it uh and then even if you can build it even if you get the lease from from you know congress that changed and the property turned over to dc or whatever it's still a smallish property now maybe that the nostalgia alone is worth it but i don't know it just feels like that's doesn't feel terribly likely for me based on all the scenarios and i already mentioned virginia that's why i just think i just at this point i think i would be surprised if it's maryland if it's not maryland And again that's not based on I'm not reporting it's just based on logic, so that that's kind of well, why I, mean, I was bringing this up
1: logic i don't I don't I don't know if that's logical or not I mean I don't think it's illogical because of the land they own because of the infrastructure and the Maryland desire already um and what they have you know in terms of an investment going into that area anyway I'm talking I'm talking about p g county in the state, but I hope that there's just an understanding. That the RFK site with a lot of development around it, you know, retail, restaurant, the whole thing, commercial, you know, whatever kind of residential, but whatever whatever it is, whatever the, the this new destination for restaurants, for bars, for a stadium that's going to have, you know, not a lot of games, but maybe, you know, a, a significant number of events during the course of the year, that that's the home run and that they go for that and that they do everything they can to get that done because that would be the best thing for them. It would be the best thing for the city. It would be the best thing for the, the fan base now and, and a projected fan base in the future. I mean, I, you know how you feel as a sports fan in this town when you do, you go to a game at Capital One Arena versus going to FedEx Field. I mean, there's just a vibe, there's a scene and you want that and it, it, this is our city this is the city that the team you know is called and i think it would be they, they need to they need to go for it in a big way and they they they've got to figure out how to get it done and work with the people they need to work with and at least you know these people won't be hopefully off putting to every single politician and every st- single taxpayer in the city and maybe it'll be embraced more. I know the area is much different than it than it ever was um, when RFK was there and you have, you know, more economic influence in that area. Um, and not everybody wants a stadium that lives down in that area, but that's what they should be trying to do. Whether that's the logical answer or not, or what, whether that's the emotional versus the logical answer, that's what they should be trying to do that every single you know, um, you know, energy piece of energy should be towards a, a stadium in DC until they've exhausted all avenues and they just legitimately can't do it or the city won't allow them to do it or the federal government won't, you know, lease the land or change or amend the lease that currently exists. Um, but if, if, if it doesn't get done, it doesn't get done on someone else's, um, you know, blame sheet, not theirs. They, they need to go for that in a big way.
0: And I will say to that, I hear what you're saying on all that front and it makes all sense. I just, it just feels like there's going to be a lot of headwind to get this through on the flip side. You got a new governor in Maryland. I can't imagine now. It seems to me like Westmore is into sports. This isn't somebody's going to have to be uh, pulled to understand why this is important. And uh, I believe he is a, a, a Baltimore person. So I think that he's more of a Ravens person, but that aside, I don't know. If, I don't know if a first year governor, assuming that this happens anytime in the next, you know, six to 12 months, a uh, stadium is, is going to be the guy who let that go. Now I know that like, it's not, maybe not, you know, as universal to let the team leave the way it would be in other situations. One, cause there's Baltimore two It's called Washington commanders, not Maryland, but I, I would be I, I I would venture to guess this is just trying to read the tea leaves that they're going to be more aggressive in uh th- than the previous administration had been because of, you know, the Dan Snyder factor. And it's a new governor. And uh, again, they're already there like it's, you know, I mean, uh, obviously so much of this is pure speculation because we don't know what Josh Harris's hopes and dreams are. But uh, I don't know. I just think Maryland's going to be more aggressive. Here, here Here's my other question. It's not a question. This is a demand. I really want that stupid moat. <laughs>
1: the one that the Dutch designer or the Swedish designer, whatever it was, created that... that
0: Yeah, for Bruce you know, Allen. You,
1: you know what's um interesting about that rendering? Snyder was intimately involved in it himself. You know, I remember when that came out. This is what he really wanted to deliver to, to this city he wanted to deliver like because he couldn't deliver a winner and because he realized in you know the last you know half decade anyway that he wasn't the most popular person in town by a lot he wanted to deliver that stadium he thought it would make people forget a lot of the bad stuff if he delivered a, a, a brand new you know state of the art um stadium in downtown dc i mean and i you know i remember somebody tell, telling me specifically like four or five years ago or whenever that came out that this you know this was his baby you know the stadium and that this is what he really wanted um he you know he, he felt like in the same way a poland was revered much more after the revitalization of chinatown with you know mci center capital one he wanted to do the same thing for the RFK site in downtown with a football stadium and development around it.
0: Yeah, I, I think, I think, uh, a Poland's, uh, I mean, of, of the more modern, for the more modern fans, his, his, uh, legacy is, is, uh, is, is enhanced by that. I wish he hadn't given, uh, Leontis the, uh, how to be a mom and pop NBA owner, uh, book. Yeah, that, but other that, than that, all right. Yeah right um
1: but i mean a A, poland gets as much credit for not only you know what happened in chinatown but really the beginning in many ways of 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 dc becoming more of a neighborhood city um than it was
0: before then let me ask you this last stadium question we'll get to some football stuff the the entire obviously it's it's so complicated but this was going to pay for it and where was it going to be because of the Dan Snyder situation and the ongoing investigations and all that stuff. What was your impression as somebody who talks about this all the time and has guests on from all, all different uh, walks of of life with this story. What was your impression of what the team was willing to, uh, invest in a new stadium? Like a hundred percent, none of it, 50, 50. Like what was that? What do you think they were willing to do, uh, from that oh, again you mean, I... you mean Snyder like the, yeah the... yeah what was well, like, what
1: I think they I think we got to the point where they weren't in position to do much at all which is why we were going to end up either you know in the bowels of Virginia where Virginia would give them almost all of it or a lot of it Um, but again I doubt that the league would have ever allowed that or you know on the current FedEx property where that land is already owned. And you would have been talking about, you know, a much lower number, and you would have been getting some support from the state of Maryland for roads, infrastructure, etc. So that, I think, you know, a big reason that we were here overall is because revenues dropped by 25% plus over the last five years, net profit dropped significantly. The the, you know, the projections with Snyder remaining in this, you know, in ownership is that revenues weren't going to increase dramatically. I mean, they they increased because we had a pandemic and nobody went to games. So all of the numbers looked good after 2020 and even 2021 to a certain degree when people were still early in that season hesitant to go to games. I think the financial, you know, I've, I've tried to explain this before he's not poor obviously he isn't but the franchise was a low end earner in the league and it just didn't have the ability to go out and plop down 3 to 4 billion dollars for a new stadium with no jurisdiction help
0: so to that point is it fair to think that the stadium actually is what the inability to get a deal in the stadium is actually the, was huge the part. final nail in the, the final nail huge, in the coffin.
1: Yeah, Ben, it was a huge part of all of this. No doubt. The, the, we, we've been, we've been talking about this for a year and a half that um, I remember hearing three years ago <laughs> that the organization was really struggling. I'm Again, I'm not talking about the Snyders. I'm talking about the, Organization. And could he have sold, you know, yachts and properties all over the place and pumped it back into the team? Yeah, he, if, if it ever got to that point, look, no NFL team's ever going to go out of money because no matter how poorly they're run, and this one was at the bottom of the league, they get 132nd of the media revenue, which is a massive number. But yes, they were. The, the team was not operating in the same financial position that most of the other teams in the league were and this because they had a rundown stadium and they need a new one this was the big part of it i think there are a lot of you know things that contributed to ultimately him deciding to sell the team um you know but if I, he
0: get but if he gets a deal, if he's able, forget what you will even wear. If he his, got a deal. If I he think he's still the owner.
1: Like a remember, right before the end of right right before twenty twenty, um, in the election, uh, you know, there was there was hope that they could slip that amendment into the bill before the end of the year, but it got discovered and got taken out. In fact, I always kind of blame Liz Clark for it, and and I say that tongue in cheek, but she wrote this story talking about this thing that was. Trying to that they were trying to slip into the bill that would hopefully you know um, you know get to the end of the year when you know a new Congress took over and it would it would it would then be in position to pass potentially in 2020. Anyway, long story short is they got it out of there in like late December of of 2019, um, and uh, and yeah. So if if somehow like DC had done business with Dan. I think Dan would still be here, but DC wasn't going to do business with Dan because he was Dan. And then on top of that, there was one investigation and one claim of a toxic workplace after another. So he did it to himself.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, the, 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 the the full review of all the ways Dan Snyder hosed himself uh, will be a really fascinating read downline by the way that that's a that's a thing that's gonna be gonna happen right at some point after he leaves i don't know if people will write books but there will be like the different type of behind the scenes stories coming out about all kinds of stuff and that's gonna be the next you know maybe it's the final chapter of of us with dan snyder but that that's gonna happen at some point and all the ways that he you know uh, screwed himself probably uh is gonna be a really interesting uh one to say <laughs> well the least. i mean
1: I I definitely look forward to the 30 for 30 or the HBO sports documentary or the ESPN documentary. There's going to be one on the reign of Dan Snyder in Washington because, and I've I've talked about this forever, but what he did was impossible 24 years ago. And so, and, and then the shenanigans that went on as he ran this thing into the ground and chased away two thirds of, you know, arguably one of the top three to five fan bases in all of America, North American sports. Um, it'll be an entertaining uh, documentary for sure. And, you know, I'm sure somebody's going to write a book too, and um, it'll be must reading for all of us. I wonder how many people will, there'll, there'll be plenty of people that will tell the truth about him. Um, but I doubt, you know, he would be much uh, willing to be a part of it. But who
0: knows? Well, that 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 would be the fun Vegas bet. When is Dan Snyder give a legit interview? Like, what's the, you know, I don't know if it's an over-under or pick the date. But like, when is that happening? I don't
1: think happening? he will, Ben. I don't think he will. He's, he is so, um, he's become so reclusive because of his, I think he can't stand these interviews. I found something and I played part of it on the radio show this morning. I found this E60 Rachel Nichols, Dan Snyder piece from tw- uh, 2010. I also found something from like 2013, 2014. And I think that was essentially the last of it. But he admitted to Rachel, uh, Rachel in this thing that he hates doing media. He's very uncomfortable doing it. And he just became more uncomfortable as the years went on. And remember, part of it is because he started to realize just how despised he was. And um it look, it manifested itself multiple times, including on the Ron Rivera introduction day when he came out and said, happy Thanksgiving. I mean, he had 30 seconds of remarks and you could tell that it, this was just, I don't see him doing that kind of sit down, you know, cleanse interview. I don't see that. First of all, I don't think he's ever going to be at this point in his life, the kind of person that says my fault. Um, He's never done that before. He's not going to do that now. And and who knows? I mean, the results of some of these investigations, they may, you know, with him gone, they actually may embolden him somehow. Um, We don't know what the results of these things are, but, Um, you know, it's possible that the results come out and people in like, this is where, you know, we had these conversations in the last year, year and a half. It's like, be careful where you start to push and reach, you know, if you've got something on him, fine. If you don't, don't give him the ability to say, see, I told you, I didn't have anything to do with that. It doesn't matter anymore because he is selling the team, but, um,
0: well, to, to that end, If a lot of people come out of the woodworks or are now willing to talk, let's just say from Bruce Allen and on down, you know, every time somebody would say something now, we'd get the statement from the team or from some lawyer or something. I wonder, does that continue then? Like, because if everybody's going to start writing about these things and giving interviews about this, I mean, is he going to stay quiet or is he going to speak out and say, you know. I mean, with all the with all of the accusations over the last several years,
1: we haven't heard from him. We've only heard from his attorneys, and my guess is we'll continue to just hear from attorneys.
0: Well, he's put out early on. He put out there were multiple statements from the team uh, following the various uh, Washington Post stories.
1: All the ones that they had to pull back, retract, and then send out a new one on
0: Uh, something like that. It was like it was the point when it was the statement from the team that was like professional and normal and then the statement from him that right. was you know off the reservation basically
1: yeah i i i don't know i mean i i would i would think that as things could cuz i was thinking about the gruden you know uh, the john gruden case you know if if that does get to some sort of um I'm trying to think they have not settled completely. Right. Um, if that, I I wonder if we'll ever find out for sure, if Dan Snyder or somebody close to him was the, you know, was the leak on the Gruden Bruce Allen emails, because that was what brought everything back to life. That Wilkinson report had already been out. The punishment had already been, um, you know, Although he wouldn't take the punishment himself, <clears throat> the punishment of the team had happened. It started to die down. I'm not saying rightly or wrongly. So, I mean, and, and those women and the attorneys that that represented them were still after it, but in the the public, you know, um, realm, it had kind of died down. And then all of a sudden, these emails, and all of a sudden, we had a congressional House Oversight uh, Reform Committee investigation. And then we ended up with the Mary Joe White investigation. Like you said, and I've said so many times, I'm not sure anybody has ever sort of submarined and sabotaged himself more than he has. I mean, he's hit himself in the face so many times. I mean, private investigators following former employees and, you know, even the never, ever, 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 never on the name in all caps. Like, it, 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 it was just... There was a, an emotional and impulsive response that never worked in his favor
0: ever. Didn't he say after Ursa's comments the uh, last year about, you know, that that the they, you know, there's enough there to kind of do an investigation maybe, or not that he should sell the team. He put out a statement then saying it's, you know, I don't know why he, Ursa is saying this, but we're never selling.
1: Yeah. But yeah, he did.
0: And then like a month later is when they said, okay, we're going to yeah. explore transactions. All right, well, I'm going to get to some football stuff, but before we do that, ha- complete random question, and I'll tell you why in a second. You've been to baseball games. Have you ever caught a foul ball? Never. I've never caught a foul ball in the stands. I did get one at the Orioles press box, and it was the first one I ever got, and I was so excited. And then the rule is you have to give the ball. You can't keep it in the press box. And my heart sank when I realized that that was the case. And like the people said standing next to me, they could see – might the life go out of me when I had to give it up. But I bring okay. it up be- because uh, our friend uh, Joe Yashirov, who used to uh, be Steve Buckhantz's, uh main producer at uh, Channel 5, and he-, he was on Comcast Sportsnet for years, he he just tweeted that he's at the Orioles-Angels game right now. Shohei Otani is pitching and hitting, and Joe said that he before the game started, he saw some kid right where he was sitting and said, if I get the ball, I'm going to give it to you. Figuring he's never going to get it because he's never gotten one. He then, apparently, in the fifth inning, he gets one. And it's hit by Shohei Otani. And now he's facing this dilemma. What do I do? And he, and he said he gave, he kept the it, promise. It was a
1: home run ball? Or no, it was a foul ball? ball. And did Joe catch it?
0: Uh, he says, I and nabbed the foul ball hit by Otani. I first ever. it. That's what it said. I mean...
1: I I I'm curious as to whether or not Joe actually caught it or not. Um, so now he's got the dilemma of whether or not to give it to the kid. Or
0: well, he keep said, it he, he said he did. I'm just, now I'm thinking about it. What am I It's doing? a
1: foul ball. I mean, Otani's got, you know, how many foul balls a night does somebody catch? If there's three or four foul balls a week that somebody catches of, of Otani's. That's not going to be worth a
0: lot. No, forget you know? worth it. I, just to say, I've never got one. Oh,
1: well, and like I wanted offer before the game.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean that that's the part that's crazy. I don't know. I mean, what are the odds that he says that? I have to assume he said it tongue in cheek, and then it actually happens. And it's Otani. It'd be one thing if it was like the backup catcher, but like it's Shohei Otani. Oh my god, that is a. That, I've
1: got some. I've got so many stories about Joe Yashiroff and I can't tell any of them
0: with you none of them well not 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 in this you know we we
1: worked together for a couple of years it was my first job his first job we were we were bucks producers together with this guy paul farnsworth and larry duvall
0: well i think we've talked about this that was my first like real internship was there uh the summer i was
1: gone at that point because i don't i so i'm i'm sure um frank was probably there then
0: uh dave baker
1: Oh, Dave Baker was there. Yeah, Dave Baker, the master of impersonations. He could do just about anybody.
0: I it was. I think that was when I broke my naivete about sports. It was when the Capitals uh, Scott Stevens had signed a contract with St. Louis, and the insanity of free agency was like the Caps got five first round picks for this, and uh, I I was like, well, they got to keep him. Scott Stevens is unbelievable, and I sat there in the studio the show was over i sat there until midnight or whatever the deadline was thinking something's going to happen here and then it didn't i was like oh okay well i guess this is sport. i guess this is business cuz i was like you can't let scott stevens go um it was also the first year when uh, it was the year that seinfeld came out like the first small mini season whatever uh-huh. that year was 91 maybe <laughs> i don't know yeah uh that's when i did all right uh quick football stuff uh you and i were talking earlier I mean, look, rookie camp, yada, yada, yada. You know, I have wrote about it. I talked about it in the last episode. You can go check that out. Um, but we were talking about this, and you said you talked about it in your show today, and you're going to talk about it again, and I won't. I'll even delay this just so people can go listen to you talk no, about you it. No, you don't. You, you well, don't do that. I, I to, fine. Anyway, uh, we were both talking about the one guy who bo- caught both of our eyes in part because I, I asked Rivera a question, hoping to get effectively oh, answered.
1: It was your question? Yes. Oh, you didn't tell me that earlier oh.
0: today. Yeah, yeah. So I asked Rivera about the returners and is there anybody at, like I, I asked him, what did he think of his return game, which he, from last year, he didn't really answer it. But then I said, is there anybody out here that's of note? And like, normally this is, you know, we're going to get the, you know, oh there's a lot of guys and we'll see. He was like, yeah, there's one guy. He pulls out the, the roster <laughs> uh, and, and looks up the guy's name because he wants to make sure he gets it right, which is fair. You know, there's too many new people. And he goes to mentions Casimir Allen out of UCLA. And this guy's bio is in high school is like a, a video game. He he set the national record with 72, 72 touchdowns,
1: touchdowns
0: in one season.
1: In his senior year in <laughs> high school.
0: Uh it's unbelievable. He goes to UCLA, doesn't it sounds like maybe uh put a chip under Chip Kelly. It sounds like Chip Kelly maybe didn't know how to quite how to use in the first three years. Um, The last year he ends up catching, I think like f- around 40 catches and he's used as a running back at times. His big web value that was as a kick returner, his last two years had gaudy stats there. And the fact that Rivera cited him off the bat says, okay, this is somebody we're going to get to, we're, we're, we're going to need to watch this year. I, I wouldn't think he's a kick returner. He's like five, eight, you know, doesn't weigh much. Uh, but maybe as a punt returner, he said he said that he did punt returners uh, like for the scout team at UCLA, and then he did it during like the East-West Shrine game, and I guess people thought he did a good, good enough job. Uh, I think he's going to be a really fun guy to watch all year, and then you brought him up to me today, and that's why I wanted to bring it up here.
1: Yeah, like I, I never – when I listened to Rivera's answer about the punt and kick returner, I didn't realize it was your question, and he immediately went to Casimir Allen. I realized who that was. It was number 19 for UCLA. And I went and and just looked at the highlights because I remember some of the games. And I remember he caught a long touchdown pass against USC in that incredible game that they lost 48, 45 where um, DTR threw for like 400 yards. He threw a bunch of picks, but he threw a bunch of interceptions uh, as well. But um, he had a 55 yard touchdown catch, but uh he is first of all they need a punt returner they you know they could use a kickoff returner as well although I think Antonio Gibson is a really good kickoff returner I mean he was so close a couple of times last year but this guy is you know a jack of all trades I mean he lines up in the backfield he lines up in the slot he lines up out wide then he's a returner and he's just one of these guys you see in any highlight you watch with the ball in his hands. He just has vision like you read about. Like he sees everything, his cuts are precise, and it's the perfect kind of return guy that, you know, can see it all happen. And, you know, he's got excellent speed too. Now, I was looking for his 40 time and I couldn't find it anywhere. It, do- it doesn't look like he ran it. Um, yeah.
0: So he, uh according to our uh guy dane brugler who put out his like massive nfl draft guide it said that he ran a 4 4 40 at the ucla pro day however okay. however uh, i and I, I asked alan about this the other day but i'd heard this as well apparently it rained at the ucla pro day so he didn't he he, he basically i mean he was a track star in high school yeah he ran some ridiculous numbers you can do the conversion of 40 to hundred, but basically he was like, I run faster than a four, four He didn't blame the rain, but basically that's what it was. So, um, you know, I, I think there's more to him on the speed front than what, a, I mean, not that four, four is slow, but like, there may be, there, there may be more to that than, uh, than that number suggests.
1: Yeah. I mean, he, um, he just looks like a returner. He, he, again, I think he looks like Curtis Samuel, just a, a slightly smaller version, although not that much smaller, Of Curtis Samuel, like he does everything. You know, one of the games that Charbonnet wasn't there, he played in the backfield, rushed for over 100 yards. Um, He caught 10 balls in a game earlier this season against Bowling Green. I was looking up the 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 numbers today. Um, You know, he had a touchdown on a return last year, but he had some big returns in in both the punt and the kickoff um, area. He just. I never do this where it's like an undrafted free agent. But when I heard Rivera's answer, it just like it made me think that's the guy that they think can be their kickoff and punt returner this year. So he'll be an interesting guy to watch, you know, in training camp and then in the preseason games, because they'll probably He's the kind of guy that will probably get a ton of touches.
0: Yeah, I would think so. And, you know, like, I know everybody's like, you know, ragging on uh, Dax Milne. Look, he he fielded more punts than anybody in the league. And there was no there was no point this year where any of us were going, well, you got to get him out of there. He can't, you know, he's muffing the ball. He was pretty pretty solid on that front, but there were no big plays. They've got to get more from that, especially any offense, but especially if you're talking with, with Sam Howe and, you know, th- this, you know, group. It just, you know, y- you need to give some more help. And, and this is why Allen could be an interesting guy to watch. Um. All right, last thing, and then I'll let you go. Hold on, you, you just oh. said something. Is, oh boy. is that
1: is that true that Milne had more punt returns than anybody in the league? Correct. I mean, and that, and that just tells you, right, I didn't know that, but it just is an indication, right, of just how much they need their return game to help generate points. Because their defense forced all of those punts this year, and yet they couldn't score enough. And the defense has to generate more turnovers and special teams. The return games got to give them short fields and you know potential scores because that's that's where you know they they weren't giving this offense enough, and the offense last year desperately needed it. I I, I don't. I'm assuming that this offense this year is going to need the same thing. It certainly won't hurt. Good, good field position, field flipping returns, and turnovers
0: for for sure. Yeah, he had 40. The next, yeah. there was a, a a group at 33 after him, so he had the most, but he only averaged.
1: What about that guy from Philadelphia who was pretty good as a returner? Um, he was a rookie. Is
0: that Brayton Covey or?
1: Yeah, Covey. Yeah, he was one of the guys in 33. Because their defense obviously forced. You know, typically you I would guess that the people who lead the league in punt actual numbers of punt returns are on pretty good defensive teams.
0: It would it would it would stand to reason that that would make uh sense. Um all right, last topic for you. Uh I was uh, on uh yeah, you know, I cheated on you earlier. Bram Weinstein asked me to come on his show. And we're talking about, you know, the, the the all the things we all talk about. And somehow we got on the topic of, you know, you and I have talked a lot about how the, all the defensive ends are going into their walk year uh, th- this year. And, and we also know that Kendall Fuller is a free agent after this year. Logan Thomas uh, is, uh, you know, Antonio Gibson is, and all that kind of stuff. And they have, if you look at it, According to uh, over the cap, they've got roughly $86 million open for next year. Now that's not the highest in the league, but uh, it's like top five. And there could be a lot of different reasons for it. Rob Rogers may have his own plans or maybe they just, you know, like with, like with the defensive ends, like it just kind of fluky, how these things are working. they will see. But let me ask you this. We've talked in the past uh, a couple weeks ago, and I wrote about this, that, is is, is, Ron, is Ron Rivera and staff, Jason Wright included, are they doing things in part because they're trying to get a read on what Josh Harris is about? Uh, you know, talking more about analytics, perhaps, showing their process, pun intended, but, you know, all that. Yeah. Is it possible that one reason they have not done a lot here when it comes to restructuring or... uh or any or, or or extensions is because the most attractive thing to a new owner who has shown a willingness, cap space and wrath choices. Yeah, uh, he has shown he's he's willing to think outside the box, and you present him with an eighty-six million dollar slate of of money to spend. Is it possible that that is some driving factor in why they are where they are?
1: I don't know. Like if you're Josh Harris, Hey, I mean, the answer may be, thank you. That was really nice of you. (laughs) Um, Now, you know, I'm going to hire the GM that I want to hire and the coach that I want to hire. And they're going to have all of this cap space and all of the draft choices that you uh, left for us. Um, I don't think so. I think that this was an odd off season and that they couldn't take any real big swings um, where it was going to, you know, include a lot of, you know, signing bonus money, um, uh, or at signing uh, money, um, and Duran's doesn't. You can spread that out, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think that had more to do with it any than anything else. I mean, I know Ron never said that, but he was saying quarterback all year long. You said quarterback is the priority after the Cleveland game, and you know,
0: and then they landed. But that's the thing; they landed with. The Sam Howell thing is so is so odd because yeah we all get a one career start and this is the guy you're banking on when it feels like you need to win. But the upside with Sam Howell is he's on that rookie contract and 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 I'm saying like all the things they're doing are it's almost like they're doing it for next year as as much more than this year because other than Daron Payne they didn't really do that much this year and logically look giving Kendall Fuller a new contract for example. I think most of us would be like, yeah, makes sense. But they didn't do that. And now Kendall Fuller is on the books for all this money, other than Chase Ruer And, you know, they haven't gotten rid of, they haven't made well, well. any moves. So, well, and Orwell is not even, they're not even going to save that much for him, yeah. depending on how they do it. So, I, I don't know. I just, it doesn't mean it's it's going to work for their purposes, but it does feel like maybe there's something to this idea of planning for the rainy day, knowing that Dan Snyder was going to be selling, and what's the best way to present something to the to the owner. And by the way, the the thing about it is you still have the, your cornerstone pieces. Terry McLaurin, John Allen, Deron Payne, you know, Brian well, look, Rock- I
1: mean, you, you didn't even mention the fact that they didn't go into 17-plus million in Hock for Chase Young's fifth year. Right. So, um, but, you know, I, I don't know that I – look, it's the convenient pitch right now, You know, you and I both talked about this, you know, obviously, as much as they want to tell us that Sam Howell, they were drooling over him during the course of the season. And last year, before the draft, they had all these super high grades on him. Their actions obviously never indicated anything like that. They traded back in the fourth round last year, I mean, and and gave up 24 spots. Um, to pick up an extra sixth rounder or whatever um don't don't you think is if they were drooling over Sam Howell, they would have taken him at the end of the in the middle part of the fourth round rather than risk another 23 24 picks and another you know 18 teams six of which needed a quarterback and no they i mean it turns out that they weren't able this year and and truth be told, it's not like there were a lot of options other than in the draft. I mean, Lamar Jackson wasn't really an option. You had to plan for that anyway. And Aaron Rodgers wasn't going to come here. I mean, even if like Washington was interested in Aaron Rodgers in the same way they were interested in Russell Wilson a year ago, it would have ended in the same thing. I mean, Rodgers would have said, I'm retiring if you don't deal me to New York. I want to go to a real, you know, not that New York's a real franchise, but Um, you know, and and he wasn't going to come here, um, with Snyder still here at the, at the time, but you know, maybe, I I don't know. Um, I just don't think that they had the ability to do what maybe they would have preferred to have done had it been a normal situation. And so because of that, man, it worked out that Hal had a really good game against Dallas or he had a game against Dallas. And now all of a sudden we can really prop him up like we've been like we believed in him forever. And now we we can excite people. And by the way, I think they've done done a decent job with that. Excite people with an unknown and a draft choice, one of ours and maybe an all time steal, you know, next to Tom Brady um, in the draft. And um, and, you know, the other stuff is just sort of, you know, coincidence that some of these contracts were expiring and some of them are coming up at the end of the year to create, you know, this 60 to 70 million in cap space next year. I mean, but it's not a bad pitch for them. You know, like Ron takes the situation he's in and he comes up with the, you know, a way to pitch whoever his audience is. And I can see it right now. Here's what we've done. And we, we heard the early part of the pitch last week. You know, we if it's not me, we've left this place in a really good, in really good shape. So that's what he's going to go with you know, versus going with, yeah, you know what we did? We went 12 and five and won two playoff games and almost got to the Super Bowl. That's why you should keep me because that's a much better pitch.
0: Oh, yeah, no doubt. I I will say that like for all the people who wanted them to draft a quarterback high, I think you should be fortunate that they didn't because if in fact this isn't last year, you don't want to have happened to the next coach. What happened to him? And that is, inherit a quarterback that you may or may not want versus drafting somebody that you want. And uh, I I think, I think Rivera, I mean,
1: that that's, you, you always think of that when the guy that got drafted can't do it, but um, you know, the, the the new coaching staff that came around and inherited Phillip rivers or inherited, you know, really elite quarterbacks. uh, They, I mean, it's not like Matt Lafleur all of a sudden wanted his quarterback well, when we right. got to Green Bay. If the guy's really good, you're like, great, that's problem solved. I don't need to go solve that problem by myself. So maybe Anthony Richardson turns out to be a dude, and and we'll look back and say they should have been aggressive and gone up and gotten him. But well, they I, couldn't I, have gotten yeah. him anyway. You know, Will Levis or Hendon Hooker would be a better
0: example. Sure, I just mean real, you know, uh, realistically. The guy who was not picked in the top three, four, or five, the odds of that guy working out drop a lot. So I'm saying instead of reaching or, you know, if you had to trade up, you had to give it up a lot, right, to get it. So all those things, I'm just saying probably better off that they uh, didn't do it. Um, All right. Obviously, uh, you know where to find Kevin, Team 980, 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, the Kevin Sheehan podcast, uh, which is, you know, uh, one of the highest – rated podcast in the whole country uh, sports football uh, the, you're already listening obviously but keep listening uh and uh I, I don't know what is there anything else we need to uh to mention uh with your uh burgeoning empire <laughs> nothing
1: with the burgeoning empire nothing at all okay other than i always enjoy having you on and enjoy being on with you
0: well you know look you know you don't have a we'll lot talk of talk
1: lo- nba next time
0: next time yeah by then the you know, oh, the lottery is tomorrow
1: Lotteries tomorrow night.
0: Can you imagine if they actually get oh, the pick?
1: God, I, I mean that would be a game changer for those of us that actually still care about the home NBA team.
0: I mean Ted would be insufferable.
1: Oh, he, by, he'd, he'd take credit for it.
0: Oh yeah. By the way, th- yeah, that they, they they landed on the eight. By the way, did I? I don't know if I told you this, and then I'll let you go. Over the weekend, my godson graduated um, from American University. The uh, uh, not not undergrad, but like uh a master's degree. And the no, the, the commencement speaker was uh, former Maryland Governor Larry Hogan. I um I but I was flipping through the program and they had like multiple ceremonies over the course of like a day. Right. The person who spoke at the one before that was Ted Leontis. It, how long just, how long was that one? I don't know. If I would shown up for that and Ted, I would I, I don't even know what I would have thought. I would have thought the universe is screwing with me. Uh I
1: don't think um brevity is his strength, uh but then again, who are we to talk?
0: yeah, exactly you and I <laughs> we 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 can't say too much on that all right Kevin uh appreciate it as always all right and thanks. uh we'll talk later you got it all right uh, big thanks to Kevin Sheehan as always for his time. Thanks to everyone here for checking out the podcast and of course, you know if you haven't already yet, go check out um the one I posted up on Sunday night, recapping the rookie camp as well as the ownership uh news that everybody was excited about on a Friday with Dan Snyder and Josh Harris coming to an exclusive agreement. But that is it for now. Ben Standing signing off. Until next time. See ya.